0: we in the book of Philippians. We started a few weeks ago by learning about this letter that a man named Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. And what I want us to see is what true joy and what true life really looks like in Christ. What true joy and true love truly looks like in Christ. And we're still in chapter 1. We're going slowly through verses, through chunks of Philippians. And today we're going to be talking about the Apostle Paul's joy that Christ is preached. Paul's joy that Christ is preached. And I hope that those of you who are believers, you will also have that joy. You will also have that desire to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus, go throughout our families and our own lives and beyond to the glory of his name. May we share that joy. And if you're not a believer, I hope that you hear what this message truly is and what it means and how infinitely valuable it is and is beyond any other message, any other good news. This is the only good news and only name under heaven in which people can be saved. We're going to go verses 12 to 19. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the back that are a gift from the Northern Collective. You, In fact, anything in the back is a gift to you except the giving box and the contents within it. Verse 12. Paul's writing this to the church in Philippi. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me Here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence boldly and boldly speak God's message without fear. So as he's writing this letter, Paul knows that the people in Philippi, they're anxious. To what's going to happen to them. They're anxious as to what's going to happen to Paul. Paul's in prison. And Paul will eventually be executed. In prison. And they are. They're scared. And Paul wants to assure them. That despite him being in jail. And despite their circumstance. And despite your circumstance. That the gospel. Goes throughout the world. And even in his imprisonment, which would seem very dire and sad, to think he is the greatest evangelist that has ever lived. He is the greatest church planter that has ever lived. He is the greatest theologian that has ever lived. This guy's in jail. It would seem that the gospel message would stop or slow down. But no, he's saying, even in my imprisonment, the gospel is advancing. Even in my imprisonment, even in my circumstance, we can rejoice that the gospel goes throughout the world. Paul in prison writes four letters that are included in the New Testament. He doesn't waste his time there. In fact, people come to know Christ, which we'll hear later here. He's rejoicing that the gospel goes out. And he's rejoicing despite his circumstance. And that's his encouragement to the Philippians and that's his encouragement to us that wherever you find yourself we are to rejoice. We are to find joy knowing that God's work continues to go and will be finished. And here he is though imprisoned in the Roman world and it's not usually for a long time because prisoners, they're awaiting trial or execution. And maybe, maybe the friends or family can come and pay their, pay for the release. But the length of their imprisonment really depends on the trial. It could be years, depending on how fast things move. And depending on your status, you get different types of treatment. If you're a non-Roman citizen, even a really high, of high status, you weren't treated well. And Paul, he is a Roman citizen, so he gets house arrest. And house arrest is being chained, physically chained, and literally chained with a chain to a Roman soldier. And these soldiers would cycle through their watch, being chained literally to Paul and him, I'm imagining, singing, preaching the gospel, saying all sorts of things. He's he's probably the most famous Christian in the known world at this point. So I'm sure the guards have questions. And because he's on house arrest and he's not in a dungeon, friends can come visit. In fact, the letter here in Philippians someone had delivered um support to Paul so Paul can have visitors and and if he's talking to his visitors which sure he's like hey how are you doing what's going on and and then the guards are hearing what he's saying and it's stirring in these guards hearts and though he's in prison you'd think We should despair. I've never been to prison. I've I can only imagine, and this Roman prison is not like some more developed countries where you get TVs and meals and stuff paid for. You'd think you'd go into despair. But some of the guards, some of the Roman guards came to know Christ. They heard about Jesus. And this emboldened other believers because of his imprisonment that they were more bold to preach the gospel because of persecution. And that might be one of the reasons why in Canada and maybe in our context with very little persecution, very little antagonism towards our faith, we may not be emboldened to share and in fact remain silent. If we are to examine our own lives, including my own, and I don't know what you think Harrison Kwok does during his day, that I'm just going to people preaching the gospel and going and meeting everybody and people being saved every day, I am afraid to preach the gospel as well. I'm hesitant to bring it up to my family because of the rejection. Let alone a total stranger. It's difficult. And maybe our circumstance is too good. We need to fight that tension and know that this is good news and share it no matter the difficulties. And so Paul's heart is is bound up in this advancement of the gospel. He just wants to see it go. And he's not... He's not concerned about his own interests. He's concerned about the interests of Christ and it going throughout the world. And he doesn't complain. And he doesn't whine. And he doesn't become cynical. He, of all people, has every right to be cynical. I don't know what you think of if if you're a Christian and you know anything of Paul. What Paul's physical prowess might be. I imagine him being his skin, like the skin of a basketball because he's in the sunlight and on boats all the time. And if you read in 2 Corinthians 11, he's been, he's almost died multiple on multiple occasions from being jumped and beaten. He's had gigantic rocks thrown at him to the point of death. He's been on frequent shipwrecks frequent so he didn't say okay the ocean's scary prior to getting on a boat he gets on a boat it crashes says, I'm gonna get on another boat and he's been through multiple shipwrecks and he's been in danger from people while he's traveling on the road and he's he's had extended periods of suffering so his I'm he's his bones are broken they don't I don't think he has good medical care he doesn't get mental health days. He is broken, yet I want the gospel to go out. And what do I mean by the gospel? What do I mean by the gospel? I was driving yesterday with Emerald. I was like, Emerald, what's the gospel? She says, I don't know. I was like, you you don't know? Okay, here it is. (laughs) The gospel, Emerald, is the good news of Jesus. What is the good news? It's his life, it's his death, and it's his resurrection. And so I ask them that again today. Emerald and Audrey, what is the good news? It's the good news of Jesus. It is his death, it is his resurrection, and it is his present lordship. He is currently ruling. That is the good news. I think one of the clearest descriptions of the gospel in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 6. And I think we would do well as believers to memorize this, to know exactly where this is, to think about this passage. And if you're not a believer, this is the gospel message laid clear by Paul writing to the Corinthian church. Verse 3, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians. I passed on to you what was most important, and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that the Roman guards were hearing, and some have come to faith. And so when he's writing, and he's writing about the palace guards, the word is praetorium, the Roman praetorium. These are the most elite Roman soldiers in the Roman Empire. It was said that the The Caesar, or the ruler of Rome at the time, would have 9,000 of these soldiers watching out for Caesar. They were honored with double pay, they had good pensions, and they had special duties. This is the palace guard, this is the praetorium. And one of their jobs was to be chained to Paul, or chained to these prisoners. And some came to believe. And we don't know how many. But we know that the gospel is preached the Praetorian guard. And that some believe. Because at the end of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, it says, And all the rest of God's people send you greetings, too. Especially those in Caesar's household. Those in Caesar's household. He was emboldened to preach the gospel while in chains. He was doing it joyfully. And so for us, I wonder, for us as believers, what would it take to drive away those fears and anxieties that make us bold in sharing the gospel? in preaching the gospel and so i use this word preach and there's a gentleman in the back he asked me am i a preacher and for them for some that has very negative connotations and it used to be that pastors were called preachers because they would preach but pastors don't really do that anymore. They're more marketers and business owners, and and they run the church like a business. They're not preaching the gospel. And so, what does the Bible mean by the word preaching? Preaching is this. It's not, as John Piper would say. He's a retired pastor who uh, was in uh, Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. John Piper. What is preaching? It's not just teaching. It's not just sharing. It's not just conversing. The word preaching in the New Testament has the idea of heralding. You know what heralding means? The messenger who is sent by the king to tell the people that the war is over and we have won. The the herald says, hear ye, hear ye. I have a message of good news from the king. That is what the preacher does. It's not primarily teaching. It's not primarily sharing. It is heralding. It is proclaiming this news. So when we share the gospel, it's a very nice Canadian thing to do. But no, it is more than that. It is emotionally driven. It is knowledge driven. And you herald this message. What what is stopping us? Maybe we don't know this is good news. Maybe that's where it needs to start. We need to preach to ourselves the gospel, like the psalmist who says, "Heart, soul, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God." Maybe we first need to preach the gospel, preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Don Carson. He's a pastor, he's a writer, he's a theologian. I read a biography of his father. He was a pastor in Quebec. Uh, When we started this church planting journey, uh, a gentleman who I really respect, an older gentleman, he, he gave me this book. And just to give you a glimpse of this church planting world, the books that you are given are like five steps to instantaneous growth and exponential wealth and seeing souls saved every minute. You make your social media page this way and your whole city will come. These books are how-to books and, you, and story after story of people walking the streets not just walking downtown and this guy came up to me and asked me what the gospel is, and I told him the gospel, and then the whole town was saved. Including Mercury and other planets. And you're like, oh, that's great. And really stupid. These are not helpful. We need the word of God. And when I was given this book about Don Carson's father, it, the title of the book was The Life of an Ordinary Pastor. The Life of an Ordinary Pastor. He pastored in Quebec for maybe 45, 50 years to a congregation of 15 to 20 people. There's no statues of him. You may have never heard of Mr. Carson, but he was a faithful servant of God in Quebec who loved his people, who loved God's people, who loved the gospel. And this is his son, Don Carson. This is his quote. Don Carson writes, Paul's example is impressive and clear but the advance of the gospel at the center. Put the advance of the gospel at the center of your aspirations. Our own comfort, our bruised feelings, our reputations, our misunderstood motives, all of these are insignificant in comparison with the advance and the splendor of the gospel. As Christians, we are called upon to put the advance of the gospel at the very center of our aspirations. What are your aspirations? To make money, to get married, to travel, to see your grandchildren grow up, to find a new job, to retire early. None of these is inadmissible. None is to be despised. The question is whether these aspirations become so devouring that the Christian's central aspiration is squeezed to the periphery or choked out of existence entirely. These pursuits are good. Of family, of children. Of financially supporting yourself and others. Of a good job, of good health. These are good pursuits. But if those things become primary, it becomes something called idolatry. And it is a rejection of the gospel. And the good news is no longer good news. We don't don't think about Jesus. We don't think about his life, death, and resurrection. These things have squeezed it out and put it to the periphery. Is the gospel first and foremost in our lives and in this church? Is the gospel first and foremost in our lives and in our church? The answer to this question will determine Your future, my future, and the future of this church. Because there are all kinds of things that want our attention. Vaccinations. COVID. Politics. Abortion. Pornography. Fake news. Real news. Economic injustices. Racial discrimination. Climate issues. LGBTQ+ debates, just to name a few. All these things want our attention. And to a certain extent, we need to be involved in some of these. We need to know what's going on in our world and to speak life into these situations. But we need to be aware that if any of these things and issues that I have not even mentioned become the main thing in our lives, The gospel is marginalized, and it is not good. It is choked out by lesser things. I can't believe how passionate people are about the vaccine passport. Pros are for or against it. I have never seen them passionate about the gospel with the same zeal. It is a tragedy. And I get caught up. I get caught up in the racial things. I get caught up in the Black Lives Matter and the stop Asian hate and and wokeness and left and all this stuff. I can get caught up in it too. You start scrolling your phone, you think the world's going to end tomorrow. When the gospel is preached by people who want to be, who want to make the gospel the primary thing in this world, it's led to some incredible things. The abolition of slavery, prison reform, child labor laws, and the protection of women. The gospel is not something over here that you just need to know to get saved. The gospel informs everything we do. Tim Keller says, Christians and non-Christians think the gospel is the ABC of Christianity. No, it's the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel informs everything that we do. And we're all called to something. We're all called to something. Whether you're an electrician, a pipe fitter, a metal worker, a teacher, a mother, a father, a plumber, a policy analyst, a lawyer. Maybe you're unemployed at this time. Or you're a musician, you're a fireman. Whatever your calling, whatever our calling is, the gospel must be first. The gospel must be first. And Paul drives this home in verse 15 and how serious he means this. Verse 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition. Not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. This will lead to my, in other translations, my salvation. salvation. He's saying there's people who preach Christ with right motives because they love the gospel and they love him. Some are doing it out of, of rivalry and, and envy. So we need to make the distinction that a solid gospel is being preached with ulterior motives. And Paul's saying that doesn't matter. These people were not anti Christ. They were anti-Paul. So he's not saying, well, let's just let these heretical teachers and preachers throughout the world just say whatever they want. No, he's saying there's a sound gospel here, but their motives are mixed. And they're doing it out of envy and rivalry. And they want, they actually want to do it to hurt me more here in prison. God will judge those. It is a sobering, and a scary and a very high call to share the word of God with people. We should not mess with this book. And Paul knows I'm going to leave vengeance to God. I'm going to leave vengeance to God. And God will deal with those. Do you see his joy? you see his seriousness? When we read this book, it should be a mirror. It is examining our hearts, and we are to take, we're to take our lives and do an audit check. And we need to find out where the gospel is in terms of priority. And maybe you need to bounce that off a friend. If you're married, maybe you need to bounce that off your spouse. If you want someone to talk to, maybe you can talk to one of us. as uh, Elders of the church. And elders, as elders, as leaders of this church, we also need to examine the place and priority of the gospel. We are not perfect. We are equal in dignity with you. We're equal in creation. We're equal in salvation. Yet we all have to do this maybe if you're not a believer, the gospel has no priority in your life. Why is that? Is it embarrassment? Is it pride? Is it selfishness that is calling you to a life that's going to ask you to change everything? What's holding you back from accepting this gospel? If it goes out, by whatever means, we are to rejoice. And this is the main theme of, of Paul's entire letter to the Philippians. Joy. To rejoice in the gospel no matter what the circumstance. What circumstance do you find yourself in? What circumstance do you find yourself in? Do you feel like the psalmist who said, I've forgotten what happiness is? You're talking about joy right now. I don't remember the last time I had joy, period. But Paul is saying, he said earlier in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He is building his church. He is advancing the gospel. And so when we rejoice, it's not this blind rejoicing just like, be happy, be happy, be happy, rejoice, 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 be happy, and this naive, blind, no, it's, this joy is centered on an object, it's centered on a person, it's centered on something that will complete its work, it's centered on something good, lovely, perfect, and invincible, and awesome, and glorious, and there are not enough words in the English language or any other language to describe the glorious good news of the gospel, And when we see that in this letter, we have to ask, what am I doing? How do I advance this gospel? Maybe we just need to text that friend. Maybe we need to make that phone call. Maybe we need to sit down for that coffee and say, listen, with absolute boldness, I want to tell you about Jesus. Let's sit down. When do you want to do that? You can choose the place. You're paying. To have that boldness, to ask people, what's holding you back from the gospel? What's holding you back from Christianity? Why do you hate the church so much? Ask these questions. Let's let's get to the heart of it with boldness, knowing that this is a free gift that we have received, not by anything we've done. It is a rejoicing that is based in the confidence in God's purposes and that he will win and he has won. And so we need not fret and be frightened but we rejoice. Always. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm convicted as I read this. As to how I apply the gospel in my own life and how hesitant I am to share it. Lord, would you embolden me? Would you embolden those who hear that they'd reach out to their co-workers, that they'd reach out to their family members, and those who have children, we would make this a constant discussion that together we would rejoice in the gospel and it's spreading forth. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much that it is the work of the Holy Spirit that transforms hearts. And so, Father, send us as heralds of your good word that we would see the Yukon the most Christian place in Canada and possibly the world because the gospel goes and enters hearts and changes them for your glory and for everlasting joy. We pray this in Jesus' name.